0: Let's turn um, our attention again to God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. God's love revealed to us in His Word and through His living Word in His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're continuing in our study of this letter which Paul has written uh, to the church in the city of Corinth. Um, and uh, dealing with various issues that are going on in the church. In this section that we're in, beginning in, in chapter 7 and moving on, and Paul's answering uh, different questions, different concerns that have been expressed to him from the church in a letter he received. And so he's, he's speaking back to them uh, very practically and very pastorally how to deal with some of these issues that they're facing. And so we're going to read about... Um, his response to one of those in here in chapter 9. So let's give attention to the Word of God um, and what Paul has written for us here in verse 9. I mean chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Or do the other apostles and the brothers of the, as, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not even we even more? Nevertheless, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For for necessity is laid upon me, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will... I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law That I may share with them in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. He has given it to us in love and for our growth and transformation in Christ's likeness. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come now and not only dwell among us, but dwell in us in a way that opens our hearts and our minds to know and to understand and to believe your will. Give us ears, Lord, of faith to hear your word. Give us eyes to see your glory reflected in the face of Jesus Christ as he's given to us in the gospel. And Father, would you empower us to walk in your way and according to your will such that many others might see and know you and come to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I'm going to run a little risk this morning with an opening illustration uh, that quotes uh, Bob Marley. But as I was reading and studying this passage, I kept thinking of that song, Get Up, Stand Up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. In some ways, that reflects the the attitude of the culture in Corinth and even the attitude of many in the church at Corinth in relationship to their newfound freedom, their new rights in Christ. And of course, we don't have to look very far to see that that is true of our culture today, very much so, and even uh, at times and often in the church today. And as I mentioned before, beginning in chapter 7, Paul is responding to questions and concerns received in this letter in Corinth. And most of the topics he is addressing reflect a somewhat divided church, but not necessarily one divided on issues of moral right and wrong but rather on the practicalities, the tensions that are there of of living our lives in line with God's truth, living our lives in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ in very real-life circumstances and situations. And he takes this this wonderful pastoral approach in responding to these these issues with a kind of a a yes-but response. He says, yes, all things are. we are free in all things. All things are lawful, but they're not always helpful or not always good for building up. Yes, it is good to refrain from sex, but not if you're married. And if you can't refrain while unmarried, then you should marry. Yes, it is good to be married, but depending on the circumstances, it may be better to remain single. Yes, we know, as we saw last week, there's only one God, and thus eating food sacrificed to idols is of no account. But if eating food would cause your weaker brother to stumble or lead them to sin, then it might be right to refrain from eating in certain circumstances. See, Paul, in this section, he's seeking to, to show that there are practical tensions in the freedom that we have in Christ. And, that, and these tensions create this need to, that, that, that they need to be considered. And he is instructing the church in how those tensions can and should be held and lived out together in the body of Christ. In unity and in love for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And, and particularly the building up of the body of Christ. He's attempting to preserve, if you will, the integrity of, our, of individual conscience and liberty in the gospel while promoting the proper and, yes, even the right use of our freedoms and our rights in a manner that is in line with who Christ is and what he has done and how he has revealed himself and, and continues to live among us and in us, I, sh- I should say. Now, this is important for us to see because in all kinds of situations in life, it's not just a matter of, am I free to do this? Do I have the right to do this? But again, is this helpful? Is this, is this uh, giving glory to God? Is this showing love to others and building others up? So the gospel itself frees us, but it frees us to love God and to love others more than we love our freedom. Living in line with the gospel means glorifying God in all that we do and being willing to restrict our rights to curb our freedoms in order to love and serve God and our neighbor. Which is why it's kind of surprising at the beginning of chapter 9 that Paul spends the the whole first half of the chapter getting up and standing up for his rights as an apostle. (laughs) He spends a, a, a lot of time defending that. We saw, Why does he do that? Well, we saw earlier in the letter, there were some in the church that were judging Paul's motives and questioning his authority as an apostle. After all, he wasn't one of the original 12. He was obviously getting criticism about his own life choices and his own methods of ministry. And one of their complaints was that he chose to work for a living and, and didn't really look to and rely on the, the, the church for his livelihood. Corinth was a place that respected wisdom, it respected learning, it respected teachers. And, and any philosopher, any teacher was, was, who, who was worth anything was worth, their, was worth being able to earn a living by what they did. And so some are saying a real apostle would be someone who is worthy of, of making a living from his ministry. And so Paul, as he does elsewhere, he, he comes and he makes his case. He defends his apostleship. He boasts in his freedom and his rights as an apostle. Haven't I seen Jesus? Don't I have the right to to eat and drink? Aren't you, in the result of the ministry here, a seal of of my being a messenger from God? Don't we have the right to to take a wife just like Peter did and and James, Jesus' brother, and, and others of the apostles? He's saying, yes, we do. And then he says, Do we, are we the only ones who, who don't have a right to refrain from, from making a living according to the gospel? And he uses a number of examples in his defense. He uses examples from just everyday society and life in, in verse 7. He says, no soldier goes and fights and has to provide all his, his meals and his gear, and lives at his own expense. No one, no one plants a crop and, and doesn't partake of the the fruit no one tends a flock without getting some of the milk he's saying this is this is common sense in everyday practice and he says but it's not just not just the 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 things on on a human level doesn't God say in his law that the oxen is, is is uh is worth don't muzzle the ox who treads on the grain isn't the ox uh worthy of eating some of the grain and God you know he wasn't just concerned about ox. <laughs> He's speaking to us, Paul says. He's saying there's a, we have a right in our own ministry, yes, to receive reward and, and financial support in that. He points to the, temple, the priests in the temple and even points to Jesus' own command. And so Paul's point in going through all of this is, is of course, as one in full-time service of the Lord... I have indisputable rights, (laughs) just like the other apostles, just like any of us who are are free in Christ. And one of those rights is to be financially supported. And indeed, he may even deserve all of that. And yet, that's not his main point. (laughs) How often have you or I built a case for ourselves in some manner like this? I've dedicated myself to this job for so long. I have a right to a raise and to be paid more than, than I am now. I give these kids everything I have each and every day. I have a right to this glass of wine and a bubble bath. <laughs> I haven't had a break in a long time. I have a right to a little vacation, a little more time to myself. We could go on and on and think about ways that we, we assert our rights. And, and all of those things may be true. And indeed, we may be at liberty to exercise those rights. And Paul certainly could have. He had the right to what some were saying he, he was refraining from. But again, that's not his main point. The reason he builds his case is in order to say, I have laid all of that aside. I'm not making use of these things for a reason. Twice, he says, I have not made use of these these rights. There's something more important than my rights and interest. And what is that? He says, it's the free offer of the gospel to all who will hear. Paul says, I put these things aside in order to, to show and to tell others about Jesus. Now, what was his motivation in doing that? He gives us two things there, two reasons for laying down his rights. First, he says, I don't want to put any obstacle in the way of someone coming to see or understand or know the love and the grace and the truth of Christ Jesus. I I want to remove any obstacle to the gospel. Paul didn't want people coming and saying, you know what? This is all about money for you, Paul. And lots of people think, that the church is all about money. Lots of people think that, that there are pastors and churches who are only in it for the money, and truly, there are. There are some who boldly reinforce that stereotype, causing many to embrace a false gospel or causing others to stumble or refuse to even consider the true gospel. Paul didn't want to give any reason for people to think that the grace of God in Christ comes with purse strings attached. Nor did he want to th- anybody to think that the blessings of God's grace are increased wealth or other things of that sort, material things. And even though he had a right to rely on support for his ministry, he chose to make tents for a living in order to avoid the appearance of being, being greedy for gain as he went around Telling others about Jesus. And so his, one of his motivations was just simply to, to open up the way. You know, if you have a little toddler and you want that toddler to, to learn to walk you, don't walk, you don't go around putting tables and chairs out in the middle and throwing toys on the floor and creating, making it harder for them. You clear the pathway. You remove obstacles. You make ways for them to be able to take those early steps and learn to walk. And Paul says we want to do that as well in order to to lead people to Jesus. But his second motivation was just the compelling joy of being able to freely offer the grace of God in Christ Jesus that had been shown to him and entrusted to him as a messenger of the gospel. He says, look, if I do this of my own will, talking about preaching the gospel, I have a reward. I'm doing what I love and I want to do, but even if I don't do it willingly... I have been called by Christ. I have been entrusted with a stewardship. I have, in some sense, an obligation to to go and show others Jesus Christ. And I think about this in, kind of in this way. If, if I have decided to give $1,000 away, I have $1,000, I want to give that $1,000 away, I want to do it. I want to make, make that gift to someone else. And in making that gift, I, I have my reward in a sense. I've done something good. I've given something of what I have to someone else. But if I am given $1,000 By someone, and then handed a sack of of money and told, You need to go now and and give money away to others. Now I'm a steward of something that is not mine. If I say I I have a right to a little cut of this money since I'm distributing it, that might be true. But when I I think what has been freely given to me, I want to freely give it to others, and I have a responsibility to give it freely to others. Woe to me if I do not give (laughs) this away in the way that the person who shared it with me desires. And that's what Paul is saying. My reward here as a steward of the gospel is I get to freely give what I have been freely given. And so Paul's ground for boasting is that he has nothing to boast in save Jesus Christ and the unmerited gift of salvation by his grace. And therefore, he's compelled by Christ's love to to do everything he can to freely share that gift with others unhindered. And so he begins to look at everything that that all all, the, all that he is and all that he has and all his rights and, and freedoms and so forth he begins to look at those through that lens. That's what he says over and uh, when, when he says I you know I have been crucified with Christ and Christ no longer I no longer live but Christ lives in me, and I see things now through the lens of the gospel. Paul wasn't looking for what he could get out of it. He didn't want the offering plate to be a stumbling block for his message. And so his sole motivation was for others to to hear from him and to see in him the grace and generosity of Christ Jesus, to receive God's free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus without any strings attached. And so he willingly lays down his right to receive a paycheck for his preaching. Now, I want to say... Thank you (laughs) that you give me a paycheck for preaching here. (laughs) But I had to ask myself, would I be willing to lay that down for the sake of preaching the gospel? I hope I would say yes to that. And Paul's not saying that, it, that it's, it's wrong for someone to live in that way. In fact, there are, Paul uh, goes on in other situations to actually receive support from those in the church. Often after he's been there, as he did when he received uh, support from the Philippians for his continued ministry. But his point here is that in this situation in Corinth, he didn't want finances or money or any appearance of him Receiving something for the gift of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so in verse nineteen, he begins to explain how his motivation to share the gospel shapes the way that he that he goes about doing that and relates to those who do not yet know Christ. And so, we see Paul's motivation, and then he gives us his mission from that motivation. His mission is the free offer of the gospel. If if the free offer of the gospel is Paul's motivation, then his mission is winning as many people as possible to Jesus with that free offer of Christ's grace in the gospel. Paul uses the term win here five times. And we talk about that. I want to win people. To Jesus. And it's a biblical term. (laughs) That's what Paul says. And, And when he uses that term to win, it implies that those of whom he is speaking are in some sense, some sense losing or lost. And that is seen in the fact that in the last instance, he actually replaces the term win with the term save. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul's driving motivation to share the gospel had one end in mind that people would come to know and believe and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would be saved from their sin and from the condemnation of their sin into eternal life in the grace and love of God the Father. Paul uses, Paul, Paul speaks of that mission, that driving motivation. In terms of the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. And Paul did not play identity politics. He saw only two categories of people, ultimately. Those who know Jesus and those who don't and are lost. And his mission was that all would hear the gospel. And Paul's mission is in line with Jesus' calling. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he called them? He said, I will make you fishers of men, of people. He didn't say, I will make you aquarium keepers. He didn't call his disciples to be a nice little club, a a holy huddle. He said, you are going to go out into the oceans and the rivers, the lakes and streams of this world, and you are going to cast gospel lines into the mainstream of life in order that I might catch Draw, win, people to myself. Save some. And the mission of fishing is to catch fish. But if you've ever fished, you'd know that it's not that simple. (laughs) There are lots of different types of fish. And lots of different environments in which to fish. And lots of variables in fishing. You have to change your lures. You have to use different types of retrieves. You have to understand the, the, uh, the environment in which you're fishing and adjust to various conditions. If you just take a line out there and, and put a little peep, bread, bread ball on the hook and drop it in the water, you might catch a fish, but it's not going to cut it in some situations. And that's really how many of us approach reaching others with the gospel, isn't it? I'll just take a tract. Or I'll just throw out a verse or I'll give a quick reference to Jesus and leave it there and hope that someone will respond. Or we don't even cast a line. We just hope they'll see how we live our lives and they'll just want to jump in the boat with us. Now, nothing wrong with tracts, nothing wrong with sharing Bible verses, nothing wrong with living our lives in line with the gospel that others might see. Those are all good things and and ways in which God may work. But if that's all we do, we're not going to catch many fish. We're not going to win many souls. So what was Paul's method? How did he seek to be an effective fisher of men? His motivation was was not to create any obstacles, but to freely offer the gospel. His mission was that people would would come to Christ. They They would be saved from their sin. And then he speaks to his method. He says, though I am free from all, Paul's not obligated to anyone. He's now no longer a part of any of these groups he's trying to reach because he's a a new creation in Christ. He has a new identity that frees him and and allows him to to move in between, if you will. He says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul's method was was self-denial and service. Though he was under no obligation, he looked for ways to connect with. He looked for ways to serve those around him in order, not that they might be drawn to him, but they might be drawn to the one who is in him, (laughs) Christ Jesus. Every decision Paul made, every action he undertook, everything he did in his life was oriented around, will this help further the gospel? Will this help people see more clearly The grace of God in Jesus Christ. Will this help draw men to God's love in Christ? This is really the positive side of the principle he laid down back in chapter 8. There he said, I restrict my freedom in order not to cause a a weaker brother to stumble. Here he says, "I, I, I flex my freedom, if you will. I adjust my habits. I change my lifestyle. I lay down my preferences in order to help others See and believe in Jesus Christ. How did he do it? He learned to be flexible. He learned to adapt. He learned to start where people are. He would put himself in a framework to identify with and influence others. Not compromising his principles. He's careful to say that. I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law. So he's he's not saying if he starts submitting to some things that that maybe some of the Jews are thinking about in the law of Christ that he's now putting himself under that. I became like those outside of the law, not meaning that I'm an antinomian now and I'm just okay with anybody doing anything. I still live under the, the law of Christ, the law of showing love for God and love for others in obedience to Christ. He's not compromising things, but he's prepared to change his practices in order to show and share the gospel to others. And so he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. I find that interesting. Paul is a Jew. <laughs> but again, he's no longer identified as in, in that sense now that he's in Christ. And so he's, he's saying, I'm willing to, to go back to some of those things, not compromising, but to go back to some of those things in order that I might win my brother's To Christ. To a Jew I became as a Jew. To those under the law as one under the law. To the weak I became weak. Paul Paul no longer belongs to any of these categories. And thus he is free to engage with those in these categories. In a way again that seeks to remove those obstacles. That seeks to open doors. That seeks to enter into relationship with the purpose that they would know and see Jesus Christ. We see this in his ministry, for instance, with Timothy, where he takes Timothy and they go back to Jerusalem in Acts 16 and Timothy's uncircumcised. And Paul has Timothy circumcised in order that he might have a better uh, opportunity to, to, to engage in the gospel with the, with the Jews around him. And then at the same time, when Titus uh, is being uh, encouraged to be circumcised, Paul says no because in that situation it was going to be a compromise of adding something to Christ. And so you see his flexibility even in those examples. Paul had no problem going to a barbecue. You might not get that. Dietary restrictions. Sorry, I thought that would come, thought that would come a little quicker. He didn't feel the need around Gentiles to wash his hands and to pray before the meal. He would encourage Christian engagement, if you will, for us in politics, in the arts, in academia, in business. Paul could enter into debate with the the philosophers in Athens on their level in order to share Christ with them. He could also embrace and and win a a, a runaway slave who probably had little formal education and who their relationship might have caused cultural issues. In other words, everything he does, he does for the sake of the gospel. And he could flex, he could change his practices without compromising his principles. He's a fisher of men and we are fishers of men and women and we need to be willing to use different lures, to approach things with different tactics, to go to different places and, and, and engage in different ways in order that people would ultimately see Jesus Christ now paul doesn't use this as an excuse to sin but as an example to win others and this really is just the principle of incarnation that jesus himself undertakes undertook and undertakes to redeem sinners we read in in isaiah 49 about God calling Jesus to be his servant from the womb, sending him out into a world where he would be despised and rejected, giving up his his rights and his freedoms as God to become like us, to enter our world, to walk in our shoes, to partake of our life. He became poor that we might know the riches of God's provision. He became weak. In order that, that he might impart to us the strength of the Lord. He suffered that we might be delivered from suffering. He died that we might have life. And in doing all of those things, he walked with people right where they were, are to show them God's love. What emerges in this portrait of radical selflessness for the sake of others is a willingness to give up anything, even things that we may have rights to, we may have freedom for, all for the sake of others that they might know Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life, (laughs) and I can think of ways that it looks like in my life. But it is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing, though we are free from all, to become a servant to any that we might show them Jesus Christ, that they might know salvation? It's interesting to me that Paul's emphasis here is on his winning others over to Christ. He says, I might win some to Christ. I might win these people to Christ. Indeed, he says... I might save some. Does Paul have some kind of Messiah complex here? (laughs) After all, isn't God sovereign? Doesn't he know his elect? Isn't he the one who saves and draws men to himself? Indeed. But as those who are in Christ and in whom Christ dwells, our lives are so bound up with his We are united to him. Our union with him is such that he calls us to be what? His ambassadors. (laughs) He calls us to go and to speak as if God were speaking through us. We have been entrusted with a message and a ministry of reconciliation in the gospel And we go as Jesus' voice to the lost. We go as Jesus' love and compassion shown to others. As we grow in Christ's likeness, as we live according to God's will, as we exemplify the love that Jesus has for us in our love for one another, people see Christ through us. People are drawn to him through his people. (laughs) through his church, not just individually, but us together, how we live, how we love one another. The love and grace of Christ so indwelled Paul that, again, he could say, it's not me living any longer, but Christ living in me. His love so compelled Paul that he could say, I no longer can live for myself, but only for him who died for me. He was so bound up in the motivation and the mission and the methods of Jesus that if he was doing, it was as if he were doing the winning, he were doing the saving. (laughs) But of course it's not. It's Jesus. It's Jesus working through and in Paul. And it's Jesus working in and through you and me and us as his church together that he will... Bring men and women, boys and girls to himself. If we are willing to sacrifice, deny ourselves, and go and seek to serve and love others where they are. If we would live like that in relation to those around us, I wonder what God will do. I see him doing it. But if we have that mindset even more and we look to seek to serve others, how many more might God draw to himself? And we might not do it for our own blessing but for the sake of the gospel. Paul shares, says that we might share in the blessings of Christ with those being saved, the blessings of the gospel. Paul literally says we, as we incarnate the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, as we are willing to lay down and our, our rights and our freedoms and, to, and, and love and serve others to point people to Christ, we are participating in the blessings of the gospel. So how can we do that? Well, we need to know people. Paul was aware of how people would view him He was very aware of how people would perceive his actions, his attitudes. And while he was free of judgment, he didn't do anything for the pleasing of men. He was willing to curb those actions, to curb his speech, to curb his practices, or to enter into them in order to bring down barriers, to remove walls between him and others that they might see Jesus. And he was a student of others. He was aware of of lifestyles, of habits, of different ways that people think. He sought not only to know God, but also to know the people he was trying to reach. And I am thankful for the diversity that God has given in the body of Christ. We are made up of, of all kinds of different people with different interests and different gifts and different hobbies. We run in different circles, but we have a common bond and a common goal. And that is the bond of Christ and to show people and win people to Christ. So who might God be calling you to reach? Just think for a minute. What are your neighbors like? Do you know them? What are the people like at work? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Who are the ones you go to school with? Do you know them? Are you willing to listen to them? Are you willing to learn and to get to know them in order, not to point out all the faults and, and problems they have, but to to win them to Christ. We treat evangelism as this duty to just get over, Whew. did that. <laughs> we like drive-by evangelism. Get in quick, hit them with the gospel, and get out. Paul's not trying to give us some strategy, but he's trying to advocate a lifestyle to to be willing to get to know and engage with people wherever they are and whoever they are, to love and serve them that they might see and hear of Christ in us. So who is it that God's put in your circles of influence? Who are the fish that are swimming in the the lakes and the ponds of your life? Are you willing to become like them in the sense that Jesus became like us to win us. So we must know people. We must also remove obstacles. Paul says we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the gospel. And Paul, Paul worked a full-time job so that put, people wouldn't have a cause to, to question his motives in sharing the truth of God. And we have rights today that we can stick right in the way of people coming to Christ. We have political rights and rights to political views. But do we think about laying those aside in order to engage with someone across the aisle from us? To listen to them, to love them, to serve them. That if they don't know Jesus, they might come to, to know him. We need to be careful of the obstacles we lay down in front of people. We can have an attitude, if, if you know Jesus, you'll dress like us. You'll, you'll listen to music like me. Or you'll talk like me, or you'll do certain things like me. And this is, this is also a big question of missions and, and how to contextualize the gospel. And the answer to these things are not always easy. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well. He approached her, and his first thing he did was ask her for a drink. And she said, wait a minute. Jews don't do this. He could have easily marched in there and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm here. But he didn't. He he asked her for a drink. He entered in where she was and and, and began to, to break down barriers against convention and entering into her world seeking to remove those barriers that she might see him for who he truly is. Nobody's ever been saved by the clothes they wear or the music they listen to or the job they have or the candidate they voted for. What people need to see is Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's what makes the difference. So give people a clear sight line to the gospel in your life. And we need to apologize for the obstacles that we have laid in front of people. There may be some here who are not Christians or we may know people who are not Christians and they've seen the church as hypocritical. And they may be right and we we need to confess that and recognize that. And lastly, we need to serve people. Verse 19, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul served them by identifying with them, by entering into their world, by ministering to them in ways that God made uh, available to him. And in order to do that, in order to to serve people, we we need to get out of our comfort zones. We need to go places and enter into situations where we might not be comfortable. But we can do it with the compassion and the grace of God. So a couple of questions. How might your freedom in Christ actually be an obstacle to Christ for certain people? How might we be holding too strongly? Or how might what we hold strongly to become something we need to let go of in order to help people see Jesus more clearly? How would your life need to change if your ultimate motivation and mission were to actually do everything for the glory of God and for the love of others? And one place to start is simply to be purposeful. Use the connection points that God's already put in your life. Look for places, ways to use your natural lives to develop friendships. Look for opportunities to engage in someone's life who doesn't know Jesus, whether a neighbor, a coworker, friend, even a particular group. And let us as a church be willing to go into those places as Christ's ambassador. Not just with the message, but with the ministry of reconciliation that he's given to us in love and in grace. I heard something the other day that said the church is now in a place where we can't wait for people to come in. People are not going to just now show up at church. <laughs> we need to go out and we need to invite and we need to, uh, to show them Christ lived in our lives in order that they might come to know that as well. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I just want to say you're welcome here. We'd like to hear your questions. We would like to know how we can serve you. But most of all, we want you to know Jesus, who came to love and serve you by dying for your sins on the cross, laying his life down and rising again that you might know his love and his life. And so I invite you not only to receive him, but to come and know his love embodied in the community of Christ in the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you humbled yourself That though you were free from all, you had every right in the world, the universe which you created, you laid those things down to become a servant to every one of us by offering yourself up on the cross, being obedient to your Father's will. And now you have been exalted as we heard earlier and your name is above every name. And one day every... Knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so, Father, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us grace to become all things to all people in order that we, that you, through us might win some? And, Father, as we do that, we pray that you would get all the glory and that we as your people would share in the blessing of the ministry that you have called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.